gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one, the only. And Mike, uh, the college football season has been over for a while, but now we're getting to the Super Bowl and and really uh, into the desperate times of the offseason. I know me as a NASCAR fan, I have at least something to look forward to in February of the Daytona 500, but uh, it's kind of dark times uh, as far as what we're going to talk about. Thankfully, though, spring football is, is not too far, too far away. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll see. I think we have, a you know, we have national sign day to talk about a few other things that we can touch on, uh, and today's episode. I believe that July is the worst sports month because I am not a huge baseball fan. And that it feels like the only thing really going on there. February, March doesn't bother me because I can start to put my eye towards basketball in a way that I haven't paid attention to it. I'm a big English Premier League soccer fan, as we've talked about on the podcast a few times. So I have that. But we are about to be in the in the muck like that. That month between signing day and spring practice or, or five weeks. Some some coaches do. I, we can talk about this later on. Some coaches like to do a few practices, then go on spring break. Some coaches like to wait until after spring break and then just kind of get it going. Um, and so we're about a month before at least some of the practices across the state start. And uh, yeah, it does feel weird. I, I don't have any excuses to get out of stuff on the weekends anymore, you know, <laughs> and so that that can be difficult. But uh, before we get going here, please rate, subscribe, give us a five star, give us a share on social media, help us get uh, this podcast out there. Uh, we're about a year in, really, you know, about about a year uh, since this podcast got going. Uh, the Republic of Football Podcast Network got going. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. Please help us kind of roll into year two. If you need some apparel, you know, going into March Madness, going into spring football, uh, go to Home Field Apparel. Uh, use promo code WHOOP, that's W-H-O-O-P, to get 15% off of your first order. Also, if you use it on your second and third order, we still get a little bit of a kickback. So, you know, use it no matter uh, what you're getting there. Uh, if you'd like to help us grow this podcast by being a a uh, sponsor, please holler at Jay or me on social media or anywhere else that you can find. We're we're happy to add you along here. Uh, on this podcast, we'll talk about National Signing Day. I was in College Station uh, yesterday. We're recording this Thursday, February 8th at around 1230. Uh, I was in College Station yesterday for Mike Elko's press conference. So we'll also talk a little bit about the takeaways there. We'll talk about the SEC Big Ten potential alliance they're not using that word but i am because i i love irony uh and so we'll talk a little bit about what that means for college football how we kind of got there and then at the end when the ask j section we'll take a little bit of a look ahead to spring practice which was funny yesterday 
The last question that Elko got in his press conference was uh, from a friend, Brent Zimmerman over at the Houston Chronicle. And it was about like, what do you want to see in spring football? And and Brent meant it as like from the fan standpoint, just the atmosphere of it. But Elko being a football coach was like, well, we hadn't even had a practice yet. I don't even know what to look for. You know, you could like see in his face he wasn't ready uh, to be there yet because he's just been like nose into the ground <clears throat> over recruiting the last six weeks. So let's get into that though. National signing day yesterday, Texas A&M signs the 19th best class in the nation, according to 24 seven. That's kind of skewed these days because of the portal. It's almost better to take the combined portal and recruiting ranking rather than just the, the straight up recruiting ranking anymore. A&M had the second best portal class. So obviously talent coming in uh, yesterday, they signed Ashton Bethel Roman, Wide receiver from Missouri City, Ridgepoint High School out there in Houston, out in Jay's, Jay's country out there. Uh, Robert Burden, I think that's how you say it, Borden. Uh, Robert Borden, uh, an offensive lineman uh, from out of state from Tennessee, uh, 6'6", played lacrosse. Uh, Elko had a pretty funny answer there about going and watching him play lacrosse and having somebody that big with the long stick just whacking dudes with it. Like That had to be uh, pretty intimidating. And then obviously uh, the big name in it, Terry Bussey, the five-star athlete, uh, from Tenson, Texas, who yesterday Elko said was start at cornerback, working the return game, also getting the offense. So just kind of your overall thoughts on this recruiting class, obviously on the Terry Bussey signing and, and what Elko was able to do and really what a, a month or month and a half on the job. Yeah, uh, I think it's been a pretty impressive uh, start from Elko. Like you said, a, a lot of that, too, is is coming from the portal. Uh, and 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 going out and getting guys who are replacing you know experience that you lost in the portal. Uh, I got one guy that we didn't talk about who kind of came in a little bit later because of uh, the big news with Nick Saban retiring. Right, was Des Ricks the the corner from Alabama? Uh, but yeah, it, it's holding on to Terry Bussey. I thought was a very very big win uh, for for A and M and for Mike Elko because I, I think the the rumblings a lot of people were thinking that he was going to end up at LSU. And obviously you never want to lose a recruit, but you really never want to lose one to a divisional rival and something that you're going to see uh, in, in conference play often. Uh, and, you know, there are some questions about the level of competition, but when I go and look at the film of, of Terry Bussey and what he uh, did in high school, like that level of athleticism doesn't really matter, right? Like if, if you're that level of athlete, I don't care what competition, like there's going to be uh, – an adjustment period, no matter what, going from high school to college. Uh, if you're that level of athlete, I, I don't have too many questions about it. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, getting a getting a big out of state tackle and, and Robert Burden from uh, from Tennessee, <laughs> I got a good chuckle out of seeing the the lacrosse picks as well, uh, just because that is not a sport that's played often here in Texas. It's not something that you see too much. Uh, and then. Uh, Getting the receiver, Ashton Bethel-Roman, who I think was actually had signed his NLI uh, to go to Arkansas, uh, but then was released from that and ends up coming to AM. and uh, That's another big get for for the Aggies. Uh, four-star prospect, high four-star prospect. And, you know, anytime you can add guys of that caliber, it, it's it's a big win. So, uh, again, this this still feels like, Elko has had a plan for what he wanted to do with this recruiting class. And while it may not be, you know, the, the big number one overall uh, ranking that, that 
has been chased in the past. It feels like Elko addressed a lot of things that uh, people had questions about. And, you know, I think it also showed his ability as a recruiter to close uh, with a guy like Terry Bussey, who, I mean, you talk about these big time high school recruits and, you know, finishing the recruitment through uh, the end of signing day. Like, I think people had questions about how Elko would do with, with a recruit at that level. And, I think that's a, a good indicator of, of what AM fans can expect from uh, from Elko and his staff. Yeah, because he said yesterday at his, at his press conference, he had never met Terry Bussey before he became the head coach at Texas A&M because clearly Duke wasn't in the Terry Bussey running, right? Like, no. like Duke wasn't able to recruit, you know, that kind of that kind of player. So there was no reason for Mike Elko to build that relationship, especially being at Timpson High School, right? Like if Bussey played in Houston or Dallas, maybe you stopped by and just put your your line in the water, you know, in case he gets into the portal one day or something like that. Uh, but yeah, to me, that feels like a big statement of intent. Everybody in the nation wanted Terry Bussey. And I'd imagine uh, programs that hadn't really thought that they were in the running kind of kicked the tires to see how much it would cost and what the idea would be if he wanted to come here, wanted to go there. And so to be able with a new staff, with a new person who he's never met to kind of go and like trust, get him to trust you. And, and I think that's very important. I think it was also cool that Elko at his press conference kind of put some water on it a little bit. Like he was like, Hey, I promised Terry, I would do this. I'm going to do it now. He He's just a high school prospect, right? Like he's not, he's going to come here. He's going to be a great Aggie. He's going to help us win a lot of games, but like we let's not put too much on the dude, right? Yeah. He's not going to get there until the summer. He's, he's a, he's a corner, right? This isn't like a quarterback coming in there or something like that. He's a, he's a cornerback. who's going to help in the return game probably have some packages on offense. I thought that was, that was a good thing as well too. Cause I wanted to ask you as, as a, as an athlete, how was there, is there anything to the two a versus four a versus six a type of thing? Like, do you think you come in more ready if you've played five a six a football compared to two a I'd imagine it's a culture shock, no matter if you played at Katie and North shore or Timpson, uh, I think everybody kind of sees where he played and goes, okay, like Rashad Paul, uh, Bremon, um, and maybe it'll be kind of a similar thing where he doesn't live up to the hype or whatever. But as you mentioned, like, you know, speed, speed, uh, you know, and so um, what are your thoughts there on on his adjustment from, from 2A to major college football? Yeah, I think it's more of an adjustment from high school football to, to major college football than anything. Uh, like you said, like even going from Katy or North Shore or DeSoto or uh, Allen to to a major uh power five program or i guess power four i don't know power four we got to change we got to work yeah. on that <laughs> but that's that's going to be more the shock than just uh you know adjusting from the level of competition uh and the other thing too is like these guys that are coming to AM, they were all the best guy on their roster and they're going to have the shock of you know you're not the best guy on the roster anymore or in, in very rare uh, occasions there's some guys that step in or immediately but uh, this isn't going to be one of those cases uh, and I, I look at you know I think you do have to worry somewhat but again he's a true freshman coming out of high school he's going to have an adjustment period in it. Uh, especially with not coming in in the early uh, semester uh, enrolling in January like it's just there are a lot of variables that go into someone being able to play right away uh, like you mentioned coming in at the corner position i mean it, it's going to be tough because you're going to see uh, a different level of speed uh and he's also a guy that played both ways in high school so it's you know it's an adjustment in that uh mindset as well 
obviously I kind of like that Elko has mentioned that uh, you're going to have some, some special packages offensively for Bussy. Uh, I think we saw like what Travis Hunter was able to do at, at Colorado uh, and, and not to like draw that conclusion, but that's just the, the first two way player that comes to mind back in my uh, time plan. It was miles. Jack was a guy at UCLA that was playing linebacker and running back and excelling at both. Obviously he ends up focusing on one position, but you know, these are young guys that still have a lot of uh, development ahead of them. So why not try him out on both sides of the ball early in their careers and, and, you know, give him that chance. Why not let him have some special packages on the offensive side of the ball? uh, Even if he winds up projecting the corner long-term. So that's kind of the way I look at that. Uh, But yeah, going back to the original question, I I don't think that the level of competition is going to be as big of an adjustment as, uh, just making the jump from high school to college. I'd imagine part of recruiting Terry Bussey involved guaranteeing some yeah. offensive packages and the ability to give him the football and be in their return game. Uh, but yeah, cornerback does feel like the way he's going to make millions and millions of dollars with his stature and his athleticism to be able to be that quick and match. What I'm curious about necessarily isn't the athleticism jump because clearly, like you said, you you play at DeSoto, it's different going into that A&M locker room. Um, than if you know if you're at Timpson. What I'm curious about is like the tech technical development, right? Like at Katie, you have a bigger staff with probably better coaches overall, right? Because they can afford them and stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of talent around you. I would I guess in my head, I see what he got at Timpson as he's like that that savant in the English class, the English teacher doesn't have to worry about is like, okay, Johnny's making 105. Like I'm going to worry about all of these other kids because like Terry Bussey's fine. I wonder about like the ins and outs of the position. He hasn't done a lot of covering of guys. He's, you know, that are, that are really good where he had to really work on the footwork and really work on this technique. And I'd imagine he has some trainers, but again, he lives in Timpson. He doesn't live in Houston or Dallas where there's, you know, 10 trainers that train professional guys. So I wonder if that's kind of, the adjustment more of, yeah, I mean, obviously he's going to have to adjust to the speed of the game and every being every, most people being as athletic as him and stuff, but where is he at in terms of just his technique because of where he played, how good he was and how little they probably had to worry about those type of things at, at a school like Timson. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to take anything away from the, uh, the high school coaches and, and, but it's like when you're a high school football coach in Texas, you're also going to be teaching class or, or, this isn't as the same as like, you know, the, the full-time trainers outside. And like you mentioned, if he's going to get some of those uh, specialists that are, you know, focused on teaching defensive back technical ability, uh, he's going to have to bust somewhere. And, and he probably did uh, get some of that training and, and go to camps. Uh, a lot of these coaches will, will, the high school coaches will take kids to, to camp. So they get that, some of that experience. Uh but to the flip side of that, you know, maybe he makes that huge jump, right? right. Like he finally gets access uh, to the kind of specialized coaching yeah. that, you know, may be tougher to get in, in a place like Timson. And all of a sudden uh, he gets all that knowledge and is able to just improve leaps and bounds. That's I've also heard, a possibility. I've heard college coaches talk about prospects in Texas and how they're 
because our coaches are on campus and they have athletic periods in a way that, that a lot of other states don't. Like, I know that that sounds crazy on this podcast to people who've only lived in Texas, but you go to some of those other states and you try to find a head coach and he's selling a house down the street or something like that. You have no, you have no idea where he's at. They don't have the weight room like we do here. So I've heard, had some college coaches that tell me Texas high school prospects are better out of the gate because they've gotten closer to their ceiling before. Maybe Terry Bussey is like one of those recruits from out of state who, where it's like, well, imagine how good he's going to be when he learns how to play the the game yeah. of football, right? When he figures out that he needs a little bit of technical tune-ups in order to to make those athleticism jumps uh, more readily uh, figured out. So um, overall, AM signs 17 players from the high school ranks, 23 from the portal. That's 40 new players on scholarship. Uh, for those who remember, they played the bowl game with around 50 scholarship players, so they needed a bunch of new faces. They're going to go into spring though, over the scholarship limit at about 90, 91, just assuming that there is going to be some attrition off the back end, which there definitely will be as guys figure out kind of where they are uh, in the pecking order. Uh, but that's a lot of new faces, man. You take yeah. over a job and I guess they're all new faces when you take over a job. So what's the difference? Um, but that's a, that's a lot of new people to to work in there. Elko said yesterday, uh, that he's been on campus in his office just hanging around the dudes five days since he's taken the job because it's just been <laughs> hit the ground running. Uh, how weird was it for you to see only three players signed on National Signing Day? <laughs> as, yeah. as a dinosaur who signed back when National Signing Day was was the thing, how different is it nowadays? Yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, I mean, like this was a big day and you had the huge ceremonies with uh, – Tons of kids lined up on stage or in the library or wherever. And uh, there was only one signing day. And uh, I think, honestly, I have some feelings about where we should have signing days and, and how many there should be and, and what the process should be for, for the transfer portal. But it is weird to see only three taken. Uh, and again, like we touched on, a lot of the guys signed in December in the early signing period. Uh, and then a lot of guys are also coming in through the portal. Uh, so those are the kind of the, the two things that have led to this decrease of what was pretty much a national holiday. I think there's uh, one other factor. February. I think there's one other factor that we don't talk about a lot, and that's the, the growing impact of early enrollees. Yeah. When I was on the recruiting beat, you know, when you were signing to go play college, there was like three early enrollees, right, per class. And two of them were quarterbacks, right? You know, like it, it wasn't it wasn't a common thing. Now it's most of the recruiting class. So even if there was still only that one signing period, there would still be a lot less of a interest in National Signing Day because half of those kids or 75% of those kids at the major schools are already on campus. So like there's not yeah. what hat ceremony are they going to do? They're already in class, you know? And so yeah. uh, like looking at a lot of these, you know, A&M's an outlier because of, of the Elko situation. But you go and look at the Texas recruiting class, and I, I want to say it's like 18 out of 23 kids in their signing class are already on campus, you know? And so uh, I do think that's that's been a big part of it as well as like, if you know by the time you're a sophomore, you're going to go play college football, you're figuring out a way to graduate a semester only because now there's money involved. You can st you can get paid if you get there sooner. So that's, that's a big part of it as well. Let's move into second down and talk overall about this Mike Elko press conference for a little bit. I understand. I want to say this firstly. This is not a media person pretending to be more important than they are. I completely understand that like my relationship with head coaches means nothing to the fans. It should mean nothing to the fans. Like totally get it, right? Like 
what Jeff Trailer and Pete Thamel talk about means nothing to me as a UTSA fan, right? So like, this is not me trying. But I was sitting there yesterday in the press conference with a smirk and a smile on my face because it was a 180 degree turn from how the Jimbo press conferences went from just a pleasant standpoint as a reporter. You asked some questions. He didn't make you feel like an idiot. The questions he didn't want to answer, he found a fun way to kind of punt on those and kind of like, hey, I'm not, I'm not dipping my toe in that water. Like I, I politely declined that for the rest of my time here at AM. Like at the end of it, AC, okay, the SID at Texas AM, Alan Cannon, awesome dude. Uh, try to wrap it up. You know, like, okay, that's it. And Mike Elko goes, no, there's another question in the back there. He's he's had his hand raised a few times and like took an extra question from the media, right? Just things that like were not conceivable uh, three months ago. I'm curious, I, it made me think this while I was sitting there, how much does liking your head coach matter as a fan? Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, and I'm sure like from the media aspect too, it's also probably an easier uh, uh, speech to transcribe. If I, I <laughs> yeah, my otter, my otter <laughs> was swimming great yesterday instead of like looking at me like, what in the hell is this guy talking about? Like, you couldn't even use transcribing for Jimbo. I, I, I couldn't help but bring that up before we really dove into it. Uh, but no, I mean, I think it helps having a likable coach to an extent, right? Like the fan base maybe gives him a little bit more grace. Uh, gives you a little bit more time to adjust if you're a likable guy. Uh, you know, if you come in and you're kind of uh, irritating from the get-go, uh, they can turn on you. The masses will turn on you in a hurry, right? Uh, and that happens for guys that aren't likable too or that are likable. Like fan, fans are very fickle uh, in their support and, 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 and how they perceive coaches. But I think being likable just kind of adds, like, gives you a little more buy-in, right? Like being a likable guy, it just, it, it, it's something that can make a coach's transition that much easier. Uh, you know, and I, I understand that there's also like an aspect to when you get a new coach in, you kind of just want the opposite of whatever the last guy was. Mm -hmm. And so I think like like having, yeah, like having the opposite of a Jimbo kind of lends itself towards being likable anyway. Uh, but I do think like having that breath of fresh air and, and, you know, being approachable, being a guy that's relatable. These are all things that make a fan base want to root for you. And when a fan base wants to root for you, as opposed to just expecting you to win, uh, I think it does make a difference. Yeah, I'd imagine it makes a difference in the locker room too. Because like, I, I know in this era, uh, you know, we try, we act like the players are only playing for NIL, right? Or they're like future draft position thing. But like, and by likable, I don't mean buddy, buddy and go have a beer with Mike Elko and he never yells at anybody and like is perfectly nice all the time. I just mean like somebody who you're like, yeah, I'm happy this dude's my head coach. Cause it didn't always feel that way with Jimbo. Even when yeah. people thought he was going to be the guy who would go in there and, and win a bunch for AM and he was signing the top recruiting classes and all this kind of stuff, it never felt like a bunch of people really liked him, even on, on this team, right? They weren't playing for Jimbo. They were playing for their own whatever, you know. And I, I think we saw that. Like that's why they they didn't live up to, you know, maybe the talent suggests that they would. Um, but I like I would think maybe this is, this is, again, this could just be naive media guy here. 
I would think that there is something to like foxhole mentality of like, I, I respect this guy, right? Like I, I yeah. enjoy this guy. I'm going to go play for his job because I look at the Dana Holgerson, Dave Aranda situation, right? Like Dana Holgerson got fired a year probably before he should have, because nobody in the building wanted to work with him anymore. And if he wasn't going to win 10, 12 games every single year, I mean, why put up with it? Whereas Dave Aranda probably should have gotten fired after last year, but everybody loves the dude. Right. Like nobody wants to fire Dave Aranda. And so you give him one more year. Right. And maybe that doesn't extend yeah. to the fan base or whatever. But I, I do think it matters what the locker room thinks. And the locker room didn't like Holgerson. So it was easy to get rid of him. The locker room does like Aranda. So it's easier to keep him. Elko seems like a dude you'd much rather play for than the, the previous dude. That's that's how I will put that. Yeah. And, and again, like you said, it's not about being buddy buddy. It's about no. like it's about like having somebody that you respect that you feel like respects you. Yes. Right. Yes. That's the part of it. That is uh, the part of it, honestly. That is the part. Like of it. for me, I, you know, I, we we've talked about this a few times on here, but my position coach when I was at A and M, Terry Price, uh, was I think one of the most respected guys in college football. He'd absolutely get after your ass in practice, uh, but he always lets you know that that he wanted what was best for you too, and it's it's finding that balance, right? Like, and it, for a head coach where you have to have 85 scholarship athletes you got to keep track that's a lot right mm -hmm. and you're recruiting to bring more guys in uh you have so many pieces of the puzzle i mean you have your staff that you have to worry about too like there's a lot of pieces that make the the head coach kind of a little bit more distant but you still want to know that that guy cares about you right uh or at least respects you enough to to tell you the truth and and to uh try to put you in a position to succeed uh, I think there are times where that wasn't the case in the last regime. Uh, and I do think that Mike Elko feels like a guy that, you know, there are going to be times where he's going to have to get on to people. But I feel like he's always going to be, for the most part, someone that shows respect to the roster and, and the, res the, ro the roster respects him back. Uh, and it, there's going to be, obviously, like, again, this many moving parts, there's going to be issues with, sure. with people. I mean, you just have that. But, but it does feel like he's more of a guy, to your point, that a roster would want to play for. I think that's a great point. That's what it is. It's not about liking the guy. You know, it's not about, like, if Mike Elko and I go grab a burger or something like that. It's just, like, the respect of anybody's profession that you're talking to, whether it's the SID or the janitor or the security guy outside the building or a support staff member or a media person or a fan or a recruits mom. There wasn't, I think you can talk to a lot of people at A&M and there wasn't a whole lot of that going on at the top, you know, previously. Um, and, and Elko. And, and I like think a, that that filters down. Too, oh yeah. hundred percent. Right? Like the leader sets the tone for all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think it rub it, it. And again, if you're winning 12 games every year, it probably doesn't matter all that much, but like also, probably not many places that are winning 12 games a year when it gets like that. You know, yeah. I mean, I, TCU went to a national championship after getting rid of Gary Patterson because like it just flipped the positivity in the room. Like it was just like cool to play at TCU again. All of a sudden they were unlocked <laughs> and they went to a Fiesta Bowl and won it and stuff, right? Um, Baylor coach Gary Patterson. Dude, man, okay. <laughs> I, that was, so I first kind of got whiff of this like four or five days ago. Like I had a coach buddy of mine text me and goes, it's going to be weird as blank to see Gary Patterson coach at Baylor. And I go, 
I was like, ha ha ha, F off. Like we're not living in a world where, you know, Bryles's kid is at TCU and Gary Patterson is at Baylor. And then like yesterday I got like official, like it's happening, like it's done, you know? And it was, yeah. I had to text the dude back and be like, my, my bad. <laughs> like, like, I, like, like I completely I dismissed, I completely dismissed that as a possibility and it is absolutely happening. So like what a bizarro <laughs> type of world, who would be the odd, actually let's save that for Ask Jay. Let's think about this in the background. Who would be the oddest person to coach for A&M? You know what I mean? Like who would be the weirdest person? Uh, I mean, I already coach? have it, but who is it? I mean, you know, special assistant to the head coach, Mac Brown. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Yeah, that would be true. But like, did AM hate Mac Brown? Not really, but Mac Brown was one of those guys that like, like Tom Herman was hated. Yes. <laughs> Even though AM and Tom by a, yeah, they were hated by, he was hated in Austin too. He was part yeah. of that reason. He was part of that, that concept of like, you, you don't get the extra year when people don't like you. Uh, he was he's part of that crowd at, at Texas Reserve. Yeah. I'm trying to think about like coaches that AM fans have hated. Uh, I think Les Miles was pretty up there. Yeah, actually, Coach O is probably up there too because it seems like every time he comes back to A and M, he's supporting whoever's uh, playing against the Aggies. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think of some other coaches that just Dan Mullen to an extent uh, was kind of a weird one. Yeah, R.I.P. But it, the answer would have been Mike Leach. Yeah. Um, before yeah. he passed away just because of how much he would usually dig at the Aggies and that that relationship there. Because the thing here isn't that it's just like a rival coach. Gary Patterson, I I don't think I can explain how much he hated Art Bryles and Baylor. Yeah. Maybe less so Baylor and just more so Art Bryles. But like it was a legit few. Some of this stuff is manufactured, right? Like Lane Kiffin versus the world is manufactured. Lane, Lane doesn't really hate anybody. He's just having a good time. Art Bryles and Gary Patterson effing hated each other and the son of one is at tcu and patterson and his continued fu tour back to tcu for firing him is at baylor a year after he was at texas like he like texas left the sec or left the big 12 and he was like well i can't be at texas anymore they're not playing baylor they're not playing tcu so what's the point of being here you know and is is now at baylor uh, to get one more, what, I joked on Twitter that Sonny Dykes is going to show up to one of his kids' baseball games, and Gary Patterson is going to be like coaching the pitchers or something like that on the other yeah. side, just to to try to give them an L. But um, just just amazing amount of pettiness. I respect it, by the way, absolutely respect it. He's got a statue outside that building. It's going to be on the rifle stand. Dude, I, I actually I saw that statue, and I was like, well, this, you know, I was thinking about that statue the moment the, oh, the Baylor man. hire was announced. I was That's like, it's just too good. I love college oh, football so much. I absolutely love college football so much. Um, but yeah, Tom Herman is one of the reasons I thought about this yesterday at the Elko press conference. He famously had a pretty bad opening press conference with the Texas media. Uh, kind of went off record with this pizza thing and try to like shut down sourcing. Uh, you know, everything comes through me. We're all, it did not go well. It 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 and it's easier to write that hit piece when it's not going well later that you should fire that guy when you don't like the guy and you know, he doesn't respect you. Right. Like yeah. when you respect the guy, he respects you. It's a lot, of, it's a lot harder to write the, Hey, y'all should fire this guy. But, you know, but with Jimbo is like, get him, you know, like it was easy for everybody to, yeah. to pile in and, and, and write those kind of stories or whatever. And I know the media doesn't matter all that much and, and fans have their, their own opinions, but I mean, it does matter. I think to the casual fan who just is like, 
seeing the headlines or reading the things on Facebook. And it's like, oh man, you know, the Brian College Station Eagle is trying to fire Jimbo Fisher. We should fire Jimbo, you know, like that. Yeah. That does play a factor. Listen, so being likable makes it a lot less likely uh, to have people rooting for you to fail. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, it's a business and there's a lot of money involved. So if you're not living up to, you know, the task, you're, you're going to get fired. But like, it doesn't mean everybody's going to like call for it as quickly yeah. um, if they like you and having some allies matters. And, and Elko seems like a dude who's going to have some allies within that room. And, and that's good for Texas A&M football. Uh, let's move to third down here and talk about this SEC Big Ten Alliance, just because the Aggies are obviously in the SEC. Uh, when I heard that, I surprise was the wrong word. Uh, but it does feel like the Big Ten and the SEC have quietly been like Sparta and Athens, right? Where it's like they're in the same nation state, but I, they don't really like each other that much. They feel like pretty opposite in everything that they do and what they stand for and who they are. Uh, but they both see the writing on the wall. They both see that they are the two major conferences. And I think they have the mature idea of, well, it'd be smarter for us to be on the same page when we enter these negotiations and stuff, than if we're like warring with each other, we can get more together than we can separately. Kind of what were your initial thoughts when you saw uh, this other than like, Oh shit, the rest of college football is screwed. Yeah. You got the uh, Sparta and Athens analogy. So I'm, I'm going to a different historical analogy and uh, England and France in world war one, where they go to war with each other with basically a handshake deal. Uh, against Germany. That's kind of what this feels like, right? Like two programs that have fought each other everywhere uh, for the last, you know, 100 years. Uh, and all of a sudden they're shaking hands. And it's kind of a, it's a wild deal seeing, you know, the the Big Ten and the SEC. Of course, the, the wilder part of this is that like the Big Ten has just hopped from one alliance to another. Uh, obviously you had the, uh, the the Big Ten ACC Pac twelve alliance uh, ill fated as it was, <laughs> uh, but this this is just kind of felt like the direction this has always been going anyway. Where uh, you have these two mega conferences join up uh, and kind of work out the deals, and it's also to an extent the uh, the networks behind them, right? Fox and ESPN. Uh, there just has to be some kind of like balance between the two. And and so it just kind of seems natural that uh, they would work together when it's the, it's legitimately, it's the two conferences that have the best opportunity to win national championships uh, and drive most of the funding uh, in the sport of college football. And obviously you have outliers ACC with, you know, your Clemson's and your Florida States that have that have been pretty good programs, but it just feels like the gap's widening almost uh between the SEC and Big Ten and everybody else, especially with you know, a program that was in the national title this year, Washington leaving their conference for the Big Ten. Uh you have the two LA schools coming in. Like it, it, it's just I think it's gonna just continue to become more and more of a Big Ten and SEC and then everybody else. So it makes sense that this alliance is happening. I think it's important to for everyone to understand how we got here. Like, and when everybody is decrying the demise of college football and NIL is ruining this and the transport portal is ruining this and power conferences, this is what happens when nobody's in charge, right? Like this is how gangs start. This is how mobs start. This is how like 
factions within a country and a militia start is because there's <laughs> not real leadership and somebody has to take control or somebody is going to take control. And the NCAA realized too late, like a newspaper, that their business model sucks and that it's going under and that it is not legal and that everywhere that they go in court, they are going to get their brains busted in. And instead of trying to pivot and figure out a way to save this sport, they buried a hole, put their collective head into it, buried it back up, and just waited for somebody else to take charge. And it's the SEC and the Big Ten because money talks. And they're just going to go negotiate straight. This is where, And this is where we're going. They are going to cut the NCAA completely out of this thing. Yeah, the power uh... four, the power four, and the sixty-eight-ish schools that are in it are going to break away from the NCAA, break away from college football completely, negotiate direct with Fox and ESPN and the other the other power CBS, whoever wants to be a part of it. They are going to lease logos from colleges, and they're not even going to be student athletes in America. They're going to be employees of whatever this new thing is that rents Texas A&M from Texas A&M for a billion dollars a year or whatever it ends up being to use Aggies names, you know, instead of the helmets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're going to go do their own playoff and make their own money and do their own thing. And the NCAA is going to look around like, woe is me. And it's going to be their fault for being yeah. cowards, just absolute cowards for 30 plus years when they knew what they were the whole student South Park made fun of this so long, you know, like, Ooh, student athletes. What a great idea. sir. you know, like we all knew this was coming and they wouldn't do anything about it because they were making money. off of. And now when they get lopped off by the head, by these yeah. power programs, we should all point and laugh like the dude from the Simpsons. Like that is how our reaction should be. It's a, it's a very French Revolution in that it just exactly kind of just like study history up and built up and yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent but I do and I everybody who's listening to this show is is an Aggie fan so like that's good that's fine right like that the seventy schools splitting off making three billion dollars doing their own thing and being semi pro football like that you know like you're still going to have a team to root for. I went to a G5 program. So like it is an existential crisis that is happening yeah. now because like the power five is going to split off. This is why SMU foregoed a hundred million dollars to get to the ACC. They knew it was going to split off and they wanted to be at that dance table. They will make the money back being at that dance table because the G5 is going to be what we think of as the NCAA moving forward. And they'll have their own playoffs and do their own thing and win. And maybe they will be kind of like a, a way to move up into that and a way to move down like European soccer, but I doubt it. And, you know, teams like UTSA and North Texas and Rice will compete for their own championship the way the FCS competes for their own championship. And that will be made the next level of football. And that's why Sam Houston wanted to get into the Conference USA. That's why Kennesaw State moved up. They see what's happening as well. They don't want to be yeah. in Division Three. Uh, they want to be in that second group uh, with the G5 programs. And so I believe that's where we're headed into a split of what we think of of FBS football, the big schools that can pay their employees or can't pay their athletes to be employees will go do their own thing. And the schools that can't will become what we think of as, as nowadays college football. Yeah. And it does. I, I wonder about how like basketball is going to shake out because I feel like there's some more profitable programs in that sport uh, just by nature of the fact that the rosters are so much smaller for one thing uh, and the costs associated with playing basketball i feel like that's less than you know filling these huge football stadiums uh so that'll be kind of interesting to see how that shakes out but uh yeah this this has felt like an inevitable conclusion pretty much since 
the last round, like the first beginnings of realignment, right? With the Big East folding, uh, the, the Big 12, or sorry, the Big East for football, uh, the Big 12 having shakeups. And I mean, again, if Texas goes to the Pac-12 and, and you know, that deal shakes out, this, this could be completely different. Uh, but the way it happened is... It, it has just felt like the SEC and Big Ten were going to be the the two conferences uh, standing and, and kind of dictating what happens with the rest of the sport uh, since that beginning of realignment. And if they let private equity into this deal, the rest of the sports are gone, my friend, right? Because, yeah. like, the one thing we know about private equity is it is going to strip it down to the bolts, right? Like, if you do not make a profit, you are gone. And it, if you get private equity into athletics, which by nature is not money savvy, right? Like it's not a money making business originally. Uh, it's just a bunch of rich people throwing money at their favorite thing, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is going to which is going to have some overhead. But they're going to look around and go rowing. What the hell are we doing with rowing? Like you got fourteen analysts on your football staff. Why the hell do you have that? Like they are going to start <laughs> cutting stuff like yeah. quickly. Um, and so, like, for all the crying over the portal and all this other stuff that people blame for the uh, downfall of college football, which is which is overstated anyway, uh, the thing that is going to do it will be allowing private equity into this deal. Yeah, I mean, they just kind of muck up everything to get involved in. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just frustrating, right? Because there are, and I understand, right, like, at the end of the day, you have to make money. Uh, but there are so many sports that give people opportunities. Uh, like you mentioned, rowing. Uh, just the and I do wonder if like private equity gets involved with football, but everything else stays kind of status quo. It wouldn't surprise me one bit, right? Like I, I could see that's like, just not how they do it. They get yeah. a toe in, and then they're like, "Well, you know how we make more money." Is yeah. we get rid of that thing and we get rid of that thing and we get rid of that like that. You just can't let the boogeyman in your house. Like yeah. you let the boogeyman in your house. It sounds good, right? He's offering you candy at the front <laughs> door and it sounds awesome. Uh, and that first little bit is cool. Uh, and then because you get an influx of money and you're feeling pretty good, you're gonna do this. You're gonna do. That. I mean, it's. And then all of a sudden you look around and you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't have any arms left. Like they cut off my arms because the calories weren't needed to like fund my arms. So now you know, you're just like a cow in a trough just standing there for the rest of your life, like getting fattened up for slaughter like that. That is private equity. I am a jaded yeah. media person. Sure. 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 Well, also, you can just but it's also just about true. any any yeah. industry. Right. I mean, it's real estate. True. Yeah. You find Jeez. me any listener out there that can find me. Something that private equity has made better for people that aren't just part of the private equity firm, I'm willing to listen, uh, but you're not going to find it. And so <laughs> I don't have to listen. Um, so I think it's a, I think it'll eventually be good if these schools split from the NCA because screw the NCA. But I don't think it's going to be good for everybody. It will be, it's always been a haves and have nots, but we've been able to pretend that it's not. We will no longer be able to pretend that it is not. Uh, when this thing splits away and football will be the one that sees the most upheaval. I don't think we need a split for March Madness or for college baseball, but maybe the money keeps growing and growing to the point that that's no longer fair either. Uh, we'll have yeah. to, we'll have to watch that moving forward. Uh, 
Uh, before we get out of here, Jay, let's get to fourth down in the Ask Jay segment. I know it's a long way off. And we joked early on the far of the show about uh, Brent asking uh, Elko about spring ball and him being like, oh, man, I haven't even had a spring practice yet. Yeah, give me some time. So I know we don't know exactly what to look for here, but just as a, as a former player, what do you look for in spring? What are some of the things that like uh, fans can kind of be on the on the lookout for come spring practice? Yeah, I mean, for, for this one, it's a big one because you have changes in scheme, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be some definite systematic differences. Uh, obviously, defensively, you go from DJ Durkin to, to Mike Elko. And, and what will that mean as far as, you know, what kind of fronts you're putting out there? Uh, the coverages, you know, how aggressive you get with your blitzing packages. That'll be some stuff to watch. Offensively, same thing, right? Like it's not a Jimbo Fisher offense anymore. It's not a Bobby Petrino uh, offense, not that it really was uh, <laughs> last year. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what Colin Klein has. I, again, for me, like I'm interested to see what kind of offense Colin Klein runs. Uh, whether it's going to be some of that quarterback power uh, and and a lot of quarterback design runs that we saw when he was at Kansas State, or if it's going to be a little bit more open uh, with a guy like Connor Wagman at quarterback. Uh, or if he changes, you know, like maybe you adapt your offense based on who you have in at a certain point, uh, which you, you, I think a lot of people should anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you look at that adaptability. And I think Mike Elko talked about that in his opening press conference was adaptability. So I want to see both coordinators or, I mean, both sides of the ball kind of adapt to what personnel they have uh, at a certain point. And uh, obviously, you know, you talk about early enrollees, seeing what those guys look like. Uh, and it's weird. I, I don't personally value, uh, or buy into, sorry, I don't say I do value the, the strength and conditioning coaches, but I don't necessarily buy into that, uh, a strength and conditioning coach coming in is going to make all the difference in the world. Because I think a lot of these guys have been doing the same science, uh, for a long time. And there's a few different changes that they make, but generally lift heavy, run a lot and you're good. Uh, yeah, simultaneously under and overrated the strength and conditioning yeah. coach. <laughs> it's you definitely need a strength and conditioning coach and they make a difference. But at the same time, like you're an athlete at one of the highest levels of sport. Yeah. They're like, pick up this weight this way. And then all of a sudden you win 11 games. Like that's yeah. not, that's not how it works. Now maybe over time, right? Like long-term, yeah. you know, uh, maybe it's culture building and, and the consistency and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But like, yeah, in six weeks, you're not going to, you're not going to transform the football team. Uh, completely with strength and conditioning for me uh it's just getting to know the transfers like yeah. seeing who seeing who's coming in and starting to rise into the top of the depth chart conversations and seeing who maybe's coming in and, and has a year or so of development it isn't going to be a play right away and part of it is learning numbers which yeah just learning names and numbers right? <laughs> learning names learning names and numbers uh trying to chart together a two deep for a little magazine we do called dave campbell's texas football trying to figure yeah. that out maybe getting an interview this year who knows fingers crossed um next up <laughs> next up who do you have in the super bowl and it is hard to bet against the chiefs yeah uh, just with just with how much uh how much they've won and it felt like really it really felt like this year like with their struggles offensively uh that somebody else was gonna take it and then we we get to the super bowl again lo and behold kansas city is right there again patrick mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks of all time already like it feels like he hasn't been in the league for that long, and it's already just like, man, this kid is one of the greats. Uh, 
and I like San Francisco a lot. What they like, George Kittle is probably one of my favorite players. Uh, just he's he's kind of a wild man. Uh, but I just I don't see how the Niners get it done. Uh, I think I think it's Kansas City. Yeah, I'm going Kansas City as well. As soon as the line was released with San Francisco minus two, I but I put more money into my bookie than I'd like to admit out loud onto this podcast. Uh, but the line has not moved. I did it because I assumed by the time kickoff came around, I would be on the the plus end of that, right? That it would be like Kansas City minus two. And it, what it reminds me of is Michigan, Alabama and the Rose Bowl where Michigan was minus two and everybody in the world put their money on Alabama and the line never moved. And all of a sudden, you know, the sharps ended up right. I mean, Alabama was up by seven and lost in overtime. So, you know, that's a, a coin flip game. And this one feels like that as well. I am just not, I, this is how I feel about betting. I, I never want to be dead in the water. I don't want to feel like an idiot in the first quarter. And I think it's more likely if you bet on San Francisco that you feel like an idiot in the first quarter. Cause if all, if my, Patrick Mahomes comes out, scores two touchdowns on his first two drives and it's 14 to nothing. You're going to look at yourself and go, well, shit, I knew that was going to happen. You know, like that. No, it's, it's, but if Pur- Purdy comes out and scores and it's 14, nothing San Francisco, you're still okay. If you got Mahomes, right. You still feel like you're in your bet. If you have Mahomes, yeah. uh, that's kind of where I'm going with that. I'm also going with Kansas city. I am the guy who works at Dave Campbell's and is a Texas high school football nerd. Uh, so I kind of contractually obligated uh, to go with Patrick Mahomes, uh, self promotion promotion here, which I'm really bad at. I did a story on Patrick Mahomes on, uh, texasfootball.com. Talked to, uh, Eric Morris, uh, head coach of North Texas, Zach Kitley, the offense coordinator at tech. They were both at tech when Mahomes was there. And I also talked to Cody Groves, who was the mesquite petite head coach. Uh, and he, his team beat Patrick Mahomes 65 to 60 in the third round of the state playoffs in, in 2013. That was Mahomes's last game. Uh, as a high school as a high school player so i uh, enjoyed writing that story um i think everybody in the world's writing about Mahomes, though so it's probably getting buried in the in the in the end of the Mahomes thing but i love those origin story stuff that's what that's what's yeah. cool about my job is i can kind of go back in time and write those things lastly jay before we get out of here i am writing a book it is uh yet to be titled a little bit behind the curtain here. Writers rarely write their headlines, right? Like if you're reading the newspaper or an article and you get mad about the headline, an editor probably wrote that, not the writer. Um, so I am bad with headlines, which in this case is the title. So I have not made a title yet, but it's essentially a history book. Each chapter will be a different FBS team in Texas. There will be 13 different chapters. AM will be the sixth chapter because I was there week six, Texas AM versus Alabama. For these purposes, I am writing, part of what I'm writing is a top five places around campus to grab food. Yesterday, after signing day, I went to the Dixie Chicken uh, to talk to them a little bit about photos for it. Uh, Breaking news, they will be part of that top five. I don't think Uh, that was hard to guess. But I'm wondering what your top place to eat in, in and around College Station, before, after games, uh, that has to be included in that part of the book. Yeah, so the chicken has got to be up there. I'm I'm gonna give you three. Uh, okay. the chicken being one, uh, Fuego. Uh, it's just right off campus. Before there was Fuego in other towns. Uh, I mean that was just like the late night haunt, right? Like yeah, they're open till two a.m. You go there, you get your. Actually, they're open twenty four seven. Now I think about it, but either way, there was a lot of nights that I don't particularly remember at Fuego. Okay. Uh, just kind of a uh, a key spot for me, and then like. For me, being the barbecue guy that I am now, 
Uh, it's a little bit out of town, but technically still College Station is 1775 Texas Pit Barbecue. Uh, if you're headed out towards Snook, it's right there. Uh, it's just, in my opinion, uh, some of the best barbecue in the state of Texas uh, and definitely in the College Station area. That was two. I okay, I'll give you one more. I guess I, I was counting. I was counting the chicken as one of my. Three. Okay, okay. Well, my then bad. never mind. Sorry, I'm uh, just going to give you my five. <laughs> I'll give you my five then, just so you can right. you can. So I got right now, and this is you know I can still change this. It's kind of due mid March. We're hoping for it to be kind of designed and published so you can buy it before the start of football season. Hopefully, we'll be able to package it with the magazine. Right, subscribe to yeah. Dave Campbell's. You'll get the magazine, get the book. It's going to be a 96 page coffee table book, hard copy. Texas Monthly is is printing it. So pretty excited about it. But here are my five restaurants around campus right now. Dixie Chicken, Fuego, Tortilla Grill, 1775 Texas Pit Barbecue. It's like we talked about this before. Oh, almost. Uh, Blue Baker. I don't know if you've ever had Blue Baker. It's sandwich it's been shop. a long time. Love that place. I think I think I got a bad rap favorite. because they would cater it to us during two days. Mm. So maybe there's some repressed memories there. Sure. Sure. That have maybe not go back to Blue It Baker. wasn't really Blue Baker that you're mad at. Um, and I think enough time has passed to maybe give it one more shot. But I am a sandwich guy. I love uh, homemade cookies and stuff like that. They make their own bread. I'm a big, big Blue Baker fan. So that's kind of a personal favorite of mine. And then a new one that I am going to include, I believe, that I really enjoy is called Mess. Um, it's a it's an Aggie grad who owns it. They are known for the chicken and waffles. It used to be a food truck. And now they have a brick and mortar um there right across the street from campus really love it like it is it is really good food um so if you haven't tried that next time you're in college station go try that is my five right now open to be convinced to to chew to move one uh maybe mess maybe blue baker uh, but those are those are my five uh where i'm going right now so if you have any thoughts if you're listening to this and you go holy cow you can't write a book about texas college football and, and a&m and not have blank in there or whatever uh, please, please let me get, please let me know. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be about traditions, uh, the best football seasons for each school, the best players for each school, the best coaches, I'm writing 500 words on my experience. I went to each program this last year and watched the game. So kind of writing 500 words about that. It's, uh, written by me. So there's going to be some history uh, about the cities and towns and schools and stuff. Cause I, I'm a history nerd. And so, uh, I'm really excited about it. about halfway through, um, trying to get photos and all that kind of stuff together. So that is kind of what my life is right now. Um, so I'm counting on all of you listening to buy at least one copy, even if you don't think it's any good. I got you covered. Appreciate you. Appreciate you there. Um, <laughs> we are going to take off the rest of February from the podcast, kind of get together, figure out what we need to improve on, what the what how we want to uh, adjust it moving forward. We will pop back in that first week of March and start spring practice kind of countdown stuff. Start looking at the offense, start looking at the defense, and then we will be here through spring practice every single week uh, to talk about different on, ongoings uh, in College Station along that round, and then we will kind of pivot and figure out what we're going to do kind of May and June uh, going into the kind of the, the more quiet periods of the college football season. Which, by the way, if y'all are listeners and y'all have advice, we may not listen to all of it, but we we would appreciate you giving advice and and letting us know what changes you'd like to see. Uh, if you have any critiques, we're here. I mean, yep. we want to we want to entertain, so let us know. Yep, absolutely. Let us know. Uh, for Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Network, we will talk to you in a few weeks.